0: Tell a little story. I just want you to imagine something for a moment, okay? Imagine you're running a business with lots of investments, property, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not a business person, but all sorts of stuff worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You're rich. Is Anyone like that in this room? Hundreds of millions of dollars? Okay. Um, so pretty awesome, right? And then you're enjoying that, but stuff starts to go wrong. Market crashes, your business goes bad, and all of a sudden you find that you're not worth hundreds of millions of dollars anymore, you're actually hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe even a couple of billion dollars in debt. All of a sudden, this is all laid at your feet, and the bank comes to collect and you can't pay anything. Life seems a little more difficult, not so great, right? So the bank starts to seize all your stuff, everything you own. Um, and it's still not enough. So they decide they're going to take you and your whole family and have you work off the rest of the debt as long as you live. Things are starting to to sound pretty bad. So what do you do? Um, everything's outside of your control now. Your life is in the hands of somebody else. So you decide to go and beg for mercy. And you ask that the bank would give you more time to repay the debt. And you're like, if you just give me some more time... I'll be able to come up with the money. Even though really, you know, you're not going to be able to come up with the money. Your debt is huge. You don't think there's any hope. But to your astonishment, the person in charge of making the decision tells you he's decided to completely forgive your debt. All of it. And you don't have to worry about paying any of it back. Praise the Lord, right? What a miracle. Now, what do you think you would do? Go out and have a party? Yeah. Yeah. Go go have a party, right? Celebrate. Um, that's what should be done. But and this is kind of like I don't know if you've ever played one of those video games where you don't really have choices. It's like here's what you do next, okay? So here's what you do. You don't go have a party. You remember that one of your coworkers owes you about ten thousand dollars, and you think to yourself, I'm gonna go get my money from him. And so you go to him, you grab him, you start demanding the money that he owes you. And he says, hey, I don't have it. I need some more time. So you start to choke him. And he's begging you, please just give me some more time. I will pay you back soon. And instead, you sue him. You have his wages garnished until you're repaid. And you do the same thing to him that was about to be done to you. So you start feeling pretty good about yourself, thinking you're getting back on track with your finances. You're like, "All right, well, I don't have hundreds of millions, but I got $10,000 now. And you're feeling good, but some of your coworkers saw what you did, and they couldn't believe it. So they went and reported to the person who decided to forgive your debt, and they changed their mind, and he calls you back and says, how could you do that after I forgave you all the money you owed me? You're not getting off anymore. You're, you're going to pay back what you owe. Now, what would we say about someone who did this? not a good person, right? Somebody who hunted down someone else who owed him a little money after all that debt was canceled. Um, There are not nice words for that. Um, Someone who does this is not a good person, and they didn't learn anything from the miracle of debt that was canceled. The cancellation of that debt was a miracle. So this is not a real story, but I just wanted um, you to think about that as we get ready to read through our passage this morning. Does anyone know where we're going? Matthew chapter 18. So we're going to go to Matthew 18, and we're going to read verses 21 through 35. It says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Exact same thing that he said to the other guy. But he was unwilling, and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and came and reported to their lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So scholars have varying opinions on exactly how much 100 denarii or 10,000 talents would be worth today. But for comparative person uh, purposes, it would be fairly close um, to that story I shared earlier. 100 denarii, around $10,000, while 10,000 talents, somewhere in the realm of $6 billion. So the point is not the exact numbers, but the vast difference in what was owed there. So that's what my story was about. Because um, we hear 100 denarii and 10,000 talents and, until you do some research I mean, I have no idea what the difference in those are. So I think most of us would be appalled at the actions of the man in this parable who refused to forgive the debt of his fellow slave, even if it was a decent amount of money. $10,000 is a lot of money. Um, but compared to $6 billion, it is not. Compared to the debt that this man was forgiven, it was nothing. Just like I think most of us would be appalled by the actions of the man in the imaginary imaginary story that I... Started off with talking about a wicked and ungrateful man. Agree? Yep, Yep. okay, good. So, there's a few things I wanted to see in this passage this morning. First, that so often we are the man in this parable. Secondly, the importance of repentance and forgiveness. And thirdly, the beauty of the gospel. We'll not be in that order. This parable is here to teach us about forgiveness. Peter starts by essentially asking, hey, what is the limit for forgiveness? Like, how many times do I have to forgive? And Jesus responds by telling him not to limit the number of times you will forgive. And this passage is actually connected to the previous um, several verses on church discipline, which is a topic that we covered in great detail in our life group semester, but that's a whole sermon in and of itself. So if you didn't get to read that, we still have some life group books, and you can go and and read through that. But they're connected here. Um, In verse 23, Jesus is essentially saying that this is how God deals with his people, his church. And it's an example of what forgiveness looks like between God and his people, and God's people with each other. So our interaction with God, and then our interaction with each other. And when we understand this, this parable makes a lot of sense, and and hopefully we can start to see ourselves in it. So most of you probably know Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you agree with this verse, church? Amen. Yeah. We say yes. We say amen. This is true. But I think at least sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking we aren't really that bad. Yeah, we, we know we've sinned, and therefore we we know we need the salvation offered by Christ. We've, we've heard this in church. Um, we understand that any amount of sin makes us fall short of the perfection that is needed. This is biblical truth. This is true. But I think we can minimize our sin too often. And we think we aren't really that bad, or our debt isn't really that big. We're thankful that Jesus died for us, and that we are justified freely in Him, but we forget, or we don't think about how much we have truly been forgiven. And so I just wanted to take a moment and do that. As, as I read some verses, think over you know, the past few days, or weeks, or months. Oh boy, yeah, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> Um, James chapter 4 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. How often have you known the right thing to do and yet not done it? Psalm 51 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, many of us, myself especially, may not be able to recall ourselves at an early age, when we were like little kids. But a lot of you are parents in here. Um, can you see your children? Do you, do you see the sinful nature at work in them? Yeah, yeah okay. That was you for many years growing up. Um, yeah. yeah, Galatians chapter 5 says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Matthew 5 says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then one more passage, Exodus chapter 20. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not worship or serve them. I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to your Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbor." Now, I don't want you to walk through this because I want you to dwell on your sin. Um, but for us to remember, for we're honest with ourselves, and we think back, that we are that man in Matthew 18 that stands before the Lord with a huge debt that we can never afford. Yes. Our sins are many. And Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. death. Wages of sin is death. We stand before the judge with this massive debt. This penalty uh, for it, or massive debt, and the penalty for it is death. Eternity in hell, as we have sinned against a perfect and holy and eternal God. So what can we do to save ourselves, church? Nothing. We can't do anything. We, can we stand before God and beg him for more time to repay our debt? We, we can't. We can't do anything to pay it off. Isaiah says our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, filthy garment. We can't do anything to pay off our debt and earn our salvation. Fortunately for us, we stand before the one who loves us. He's not just an employer, okay? He loves us in spite of all of our sin. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took that punishment for our debt, all of that, all that sin upon himself. Someone had to pay it. It existed. It was there. And it was debt well beyond what any of us could ever possibly hope to pay only one person could that was jesus so jesus went to the cross he suffered he bled and he died for us every bitter thought of ours every evil deed we have ever done he took the penalty for we stand forgiven at the cross and we know that then jesus he rose victorious he showed his power over death He defeated it. Through his suffering, we are free. Do you believe that, church? Praise the Lord. So, what is our response to this great mercy? Is it to trust in Jesus, believing in him and what he has done, confessing that he is indeed Lord, or do we continue in our own way and continue to walk in sin? And this is what the servant in this parable does here. After this great mercy, this great miracle of salvation is extended to him, what does he do? He doesn't walk in mercy and forgiveness. He doesn't turn from his sin. He goes out and he attacks somebody who owes him a debt infinitely smaller than the one that he was just forgiven. He has no mercy. There is no repentance in this man's life. He continues to walk in sin. The gospel calls us to repent. Acts 3.19 says, Repent that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Church, we're not supposed to continue walking in our old ways. We're not to continue to walk in sin. Yeah, we're going to stumble. And when we stumble, we are to return to the Lord and turn away from our sin. I said earlier that these verses directly follow Verses on on church discipline. And if you remember, one of the goals of church discipline is the restoration of the one who is under it. That they would repent and turn from their sin and come back to Jesus. The man in this parable, he was not doing that. Even after receiving such a great mercy, he went out and was unchanged. And he faced judgment and wrath for it. I want to offer a few thoughts here. First, like I said, we are often like this man in this parable. And in one regard, we are all the man in this parable. Like, we must, church, we must get this if we are to ever practice real forgiveness or understand the gospel. We all stand before God with a debt that we could never have any hope of repaying. Our sins condemn us. This is you, and this is me. But we are offered mercy, and not just mercy in more time to pay back our sin, mercy in someone else paying it for us. This is insane. And when God forgives us our sin, He doesn't hold it over our head anymore. When God forgives us, He doesn't use our sin to put us down or condemn us. Jesus already paid for it. He may say, remember what you were, but you are no longer. You have been washed clean. He doesn't hold it over your head, and and as I was uh, preparing this morning, I just thought like of of uh, an s- experience that Laura and I had, I think in the first year or two of our marriage, and um, we had essentially gotten a whole bunch of Cardinals tickets, hundreds of Cardinals tickets, and sold them all one year, and we thought we could do it again the next year um, as a fundraiser thing, and then we found out we were... Uh, like hundreds short, and like we were supposed to pay thousands of dollars to them, and I remember standing there like, wow, this is a huge debt for us that like we can't pay, and uh, we called them, and they ended up forgiving us and saying, hey, that's okay, we'll we'll just take them back. You don't have to pay for it, and I, I remember like the feeling of relief that washed over us, like praise the Lord, but that is nothing compared to our debt of sin before the Lord and what he does. It is insane, When God forgives us, He doesn't go around telling everybody else about it. He doesn't spread your sins to others. He champions His Son, Jesus, and the victory that was accomplished in Him for you. When God forgives our our sin, He does not dwell on it. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. He says in Isaiah 43, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Hebrews 10 says their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Hallelujah. God knows everything. He doesn't literally forget, but he can and does choose not to remember something for us. Just like in human relationships, we may not forget that someone hurt us, but we can choose to overlook it and not remember it. How beautiful a thing is this church. Even though we are this man and we stand before God with a great debt, we can stand truly forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we stand forgiven, Jesus changes us. He changes us. We might stumble and fall, but we... We walk in repentance and we're marked by a new life because we are a new creation. We are not the man who goes back and walks in sin demanding from others what is owed to us. So if we see we are indeed this man and and we stand before God with a huge debt and we truly see and grasp the beauty of the gospel, that we stand forgiven of our debt because it has been paid by God's Son, Jesus Christ, that has implications for our life and implications for our relationships with others. It affects our relationship and forgiveness with our brothers and our sisters. So there's at least a couple of general principles um, when we look at this for how God deals with us that I, I want you to hear this morning. First, when we are having, however you want to call it, we're having a fight, a disagreement. we got something between us and someone else here. We need to stop looking at how much forgiveness we've received from them and figuring out how much forgiveness we're going to deal out to them. So sometimes we think, well, this person has been really like faithful to forgive me, so I'm going to be faithful to forgive them. But if they haven't, man, they've, they've held on to stuff. I'm not going to forgive them. That's not how we do it. We need to look at the debt we have been forgiven by God not the forgiveness we have received from others. This is so important. Believers should be the most forgiving of all people. If we understand the gospel, if we understand what we have been forgiven, how can we not forgive others? Can we stand before the Lord and say, God, I cannot forgive this person? How does that make sense? It doesn't. We're supposed to be Christ's ambassadors. We're supposed to look like him for the world to see. A Christian walking in unforgiveness will not look like Jesus. Whoa. Yeah. In verse 35, Jesus even says that his father will do the same to you as a man in this story if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Secondly, um, real forgiveness doesn't keep bringing up an incident to the detriment of the other person. If you forgive someone for something they've done, you don't keep bringing it up. Let's say your spouse says something mean or hurtful to you. Sure, we've all done that before. But you talk, they apologize, they ask for forgiveness for what they've said. You accept their apology, you tell them they're forgiven. But then over the course of the next few months... Whenever you get upset about something, or maybe you want something your way, you keep bringing up what they said. You're using it as a weapon. You have not forgiven them. That is not forgiveness. If you've forgiven them, it's in the past. God doesn't keep bringing your your sin up to to hit you over the head. We want to we want to imitate God. Thirdly, real forgiveness. Um, And really, this isn't even just about forgiveness, but um, real forgiveness doesn't go around gossiping and telling other people what the person did. Love covers over a multitude of sins. If your friend sins against you, you all talk about it, you extend forgiveness, you don't need to go talk to other people about it. You don't need to say, hey, yes, last last week so-and-so said this. First off, that's just gossip. And secondly, you're showing you haven't forgiven because you're still talking about it. God doesn't do that. He commands us not to do that. Don't sin against your friend, your spouse, whoever, by gossiping about them. You're wounding their reputation, hurting other relationships. If you have forgiven them, put it in the past. Fourth, um, real forgiveness does not dwell on what happened. It's not saying it never happened, but you are choosing to no longer dwell on it. If your family members hurt you and you've worked it out and you've extended forgiveness, you don't keep going over in your mind what that person has done to you. Thinking about the different ways they hurt you, what are you accomplishing when you do that? Nothing, Nothing good. You're accomplishing something, but it's not good. If you keep replaying it over your mind, over and over what the person's done, you won't be able to move forward. What you're doing is letting bitterness and hurt and pain grow in your life which is only going to hurt you and your relationship with that person. After having forgiven us, God doesn't keep mulling over your different ways you've sinned against him. He says he remembers them no more. And fifth, this, this is connected to the last one. Um, unforgiveness is a poison that hurts you and the other person, but it, it really hurts you. Look at who ended up hurting in this parable here. It's the person who wouldn't forgive the debt. Church, don't let a root of bitterness grow up like Hebrews 12 says. It will only hurt you, and it will hurt others as well. Young people, if your parents sin against you, don't hold on to it. Forgive them. What good will it do to hold on to unforgiveness? It will only poison you and grow a root of bitterness. And uh, lastly, or sixthly here, repentance plays an important role in forgiveness. Obviously, the man who was forgiven in this parable did not show fruits of repentance. He went out and choked someone over a terribly small thing compared to what he had just been forgiven. And so this, again, links back to that previous section of verses on church discipline. Um, Something for us to continue to keep in mind in this parable here is that it is in the context of the church. Jesus had just finish talking about discipline and dealing with someone who is sinning against you and what to do when someone is not repentant. He says, you know, take a couple of others along. Then eventually, if there's not repentance over sin, the the long journey there is to putting them out of the church. Peter asked Jesus what to do when his brother sinned against him. Not a random person. Um, It's not what to do if an unbeliever sins against him. And I'm clarifying this here because it's what we see in this passage of Scripture, and I think it's important when we when we talk about forgiveness. Um, if there's no real repentance for someone, you can't not bring it up. Like, if somebody is sinning against you, if it's something you can't just let love cover over, you need to have a conversation. You need to bring it up so you can't say, well, I've just forgiven them, and then it keeps happening, and it, you keep getting hit again. Um, if there's no real repentance... Go go and talk with them, and if there's no real repentance inside the church after you've talked with your brother, like I said, the previous passage says to take one or two other along, and if there's no real repentance, we follow we follow scripture here. Um, but again, we're talking about relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ. We church, hear me. We should expect to some degree that those who are not believers. We should expect to some degree that they will hurt us and be hostile towards us. Do they have the mind of Christ? No. They do not. Do they know his love? No. no. So how can they show it to others? They can't. Now I'm not saying let yourself be abused by non-believers or anything like that, but we should view our relationship with them differently and our expectations of them should be different. And we're going to need to walk in forgiveness, love, and mercy towards them. Uh, We want to be good ambassadors. They are lost in their sin, wandering in the dark, unable to see, headed to hell. You extending them forgiveness may be what the Lord uses to shine the light of Christ into their life, leading them to salvation. And, And that whole thing is another sermon in and of itself. Like I said, this passage here focuses on relationships between believers. I think many of these principles apply, but the way we interact with them is going to look a little bit different. But, church, I encourage you this morning if you have hurt others, repent. If you've hurt your brothers and sisters, repent. If you've hurt non believers, repent. And if you have been hurt, forgive. Forgive. Look at the gospel. This is the key to forgiveness. The key to forgiveness is the gospel. Look at the gospel and what God has done for you as your encouragement and an example for how to forgive. I don't know all of y'all's stories or what's happened in your lives, but I'm sure that some of you have endured horrible things at the hands of other people. Things that I can hardly even imagine. Some of you have probably endured horrible things at the hands of other believers. But no matter how bad those things are, they are but a drop in the bucket compared to our sins before God. Seeing the beauty of the gospel, understanding the gospel, is key to forgiveness. Our sins, like I said, are a drop in the bucket compared to our sin before God. Yet, God has forgiven us and the debt has been paid by Jesus Christ. But the beauty of the gospel is lead you to repentance and forgiveness. That's my prayer this morning. That's been my prayer this week. I've been praying that we would all, that you would see your sin as what it is before God and recognize you are this man apart from Christ. You would see the beauty of the gospel leading you to repent and trust in him if you haven't and that you would forgive those who have hurt you in a in a couple of minutes here we're going to reflect on the beauty of the gospel as we sing together but first i want to encourage you if you are here and you have not trusted in Christ for your salvation today is the day for you to do so you need jesus you you cannot pay your debt yes you do you cannot it is impossible only jesus can the forgiveness that is offered to you is not something you deserve it is not something you can earn But it is offered to you as a gift, nonetheless. Will you receive it or reject it? Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in righteousness in salvation. For scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I encourage you as we sing in a moment um, to do that today. Admit that you are that man that stands with a debt of sin before God that you cannot get rid of, and trust in Jesus. Call on him to save you. And if you're here this morning, You've been struggling to forgive someone, whether that be another believer or a family member or someone else. I just want to encourage you one more time. Don't let bitterness grow in your life. Don't let it choke you. Don't be the man who was forgiven of much and refused to forgive. Unforgiveness will hinder your walk with Christ and your growth as a believer. Let the truth of of the gospel wash over you as we sing this morning. Ask the Lord to help you grasp and see the beauty of it, and to help you forgive, just as you have been forgiven. Lastly, in relation to the gospel, um, I just want to say, if you're a believer and you've been beating yourself up, punishing yourself for your sin, or or feeling like you're just not good enough, stop. God doesn't want you to stay trapped in shame from the devil. The beauty of the gospel is that yes, we were that man but God has made us something new. We are a new creation. He's called us out of darkness and he's called us into the light. Believe that. Confess and repent of your sin and trust in the one who has already paid your debt. It's gone. Some of you, this is like uh, Romans says, or Corinthians, that is what some of you were. You are forgiven Jesus took care of your sin on the cross. May we all, all of us this morning, marvel at the beauty of the gospel that Jesus paid our debts and we stand forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even though we stand before you having hurt you, having broken your laws and disobeyed your commands, even though we have repeatedly chosen ourselves over you, there is still and always forgiveness found in Jesus. We pray first this morning for anyone here who has not trusted in you. Call them out of the darkness this morning. May they call on your name and be saved. We also ask you to help us truly understand and see and grasp the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the forgiveness that is found in you. And that in seeing that, you would help us to forgive. Lord, may no root of bitterness grow in our hearts. Turn us from our sin to you. As we sing these songs together, we ask you to do these things for your glory. Amen.